Hey guys, this is Russ and this is The Overlooked. So today I decided to switch it up a little bit. I was actually looking into a very particular case and in the middle of it I realized this young woman was actually found alive and well already. And so while I was looking into her case, I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I should get into this case. And it had me thinking about a lot of the other cases where individuals were found alive and well, and how a lot of times those cases, especially when it comes to people of color, aren't widely reported. And so this episode, I am going to do a six-person countdown of six individuals who were missing and found alive. I hope these cases bring some joy into your life. I know a lot of times when we think missing person cases, uh, a lot of times people assume the worst, especially when people have been missing for years. But, you know, I hope this episode brings some happiness and feelings of, yes, we can still find these people because there have been multiple cases of people who were missing for years and were later found to be alive and were able to be reunited with their family. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Number one, Amber Lace Arkeley. In 2003, Amber was a 15-year-old Native American girl who had run away from her Moorhead, Minnesota home on April 10th, 2003. Over the years, there have been some sightings of her, but the police really could not confirm any of these sightings with 100% accuracy. The police later tell us that they got tips of sightings in different cities, in different states, and they even got tips that included possible murder scenarios. But in 2007, Amber was found alive and safe in Texas. Amber had called the police and she explained that she had not contacted family at first because she was afraid that it was too late and she was going to get into so much trouble. Now, she eventually overcame that fear and tried to reach out to her family, but unfortunately their number had changed and she did not know how to get in contact with them. A detective, Mike Detloff, spoke to Amber in 2007 and confirmed that she was alive and well. She was about 19 years old at this time. Essentially what happened is she called the police because she found out that the police were still looking for her and she was considered missing. It seemed that this was something that was unknown to her until this call. Now, she was able to be positively identified by police and they were able to get her back in contact with her family. Now, we don't really know the details about what happened between 2003 and 2007. It appears as if the police have some information, but they decided to omit it to protect her privacy. Case number two, Francisco Javier Andrade. In August of 2000, Francisco Javier Andrade was declared missing. He was an 11-year-old Mexican boy living in the Mexicali area. He was last seen at 8 p.m. on August 30th. He was last seen in the company of Francisco Falan Hernandez, a known sex offender with a rap sheet that included juvenile kidnapping by that time. Now, around this time, Falan had sold candy to construction workers during the daytime and then tried to peddle the candy to children in the evening. He had befriended Andrade and his group of friends by visiting them daily and kind of like giving them candy, talking to them a little bit. Now, according to a witness, 
Philan had offered Andrade and another child a ride on his bike, saying, hey, why don't you guys come over to my place? I have a Nintendo game you guys can play. Now, the second child did not want to go to his home, but Andrade apparently had got on his bike and was last seen riding away with Philan to his Mexicali residence. Now, Andrade's family filed a complaint with the Mexican law enforcement within hours of his disappearance. And while there was an intensive investigation, um, this investigation was mostly conducted in Mexico and Mexican territories because that's their, where they were living was the Baja region, which was technically, it is a Mexican uh, territory, though it shares um, a border with Cali. Um, again, it's really referred to as that kind of Mexicali area. But the Mexican police, um, they were the ones who originally took over this case. But they did request uh, assistance from the U.S. law enforcement in an effort to locate the child. Now, Francisco Falan was being sought by the FBI um, in question with the disappearance of Andrade, but no one could find him. Now, around this time, it was believed that he may have taken Andrade and fled to the San Diego area, but they were not found. It seems like there wasn't many spottings or anything. But in 2009, Francisco was found alive and living in Chicago. He had no identity papers on the time, but he gave his name to the police and they found his name in FBI database. There was almost no press about this. Um, I was able to find some articles, but the details were given in Spanish. Um, I could find almost no English sources about um, him being found. Um, Again, the articles I found were in Spanish, and as we know, English to Spanish, or even Spanish to English, those type of translators, those Google translators, they aren't exactly the most accurate, and I only know a very limited amount of Spanish, but it appears from what I could find that the information given really wasn't a lot. It was, hey, he was found. Um, there are a lot of unknowns about this case. We, we don't really know exactly how Francisco was found. Um, we know he somehow got in contact with the police, but we don't know if he came to the police, the police found him, if this was an effort put in by tips. We have no idea. We also don't know what happened in between the time he disappeared and to the time he was found. Now, when he was found, he was about 20 years old. Um, we're not sure if he ever attempted to make contact with his family or if he ever tried to escape. We aren't even sure how he got to Mexico. Now, there is speculation that he may have been scared to contact police because we are told that he had no documentation when police found him. So it could very well be that he somehow got away from his kidnapper, but really didn't know what to do and really didn't know who to turn to. He was an undocumented Mexican child. And for all we know, his kidnapper could have been feeding him lies and telling him nobody is looking for you. I'm all you have. This is very common with kidnappers. So we're not really sure at what point he separated for his kidnapper we don't really know what happened to this kidnapper there is no talk about him ever being found but we are told that he was found and he was put back in contact with his family and that's pretty much all the information given on this case case three 
Monica Danette Jenkins. Monica Jenkins was a 33-year-old African-American female when she disappeared from Las Vegas, Nevada sometime in 2002. She was living at the streets at the time. Um, She was homeless by choice and she had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, which was given to her around age 17. After she got that diagnosis, for about a good 10 years, she was okay. Family said she had built a life for herself. She had a job. She had a condo. and She had a car. She was going to therapy regularly, but she was still hearing voices. Now, eventually, Monica started self-medicating. It became clear that she stopped taking her prescribed medication, and she started doing some bizarre things. She had invited a random homeless family to move into her tiny condo, and she started disappearing for long periods of time. Now, at first, her parents would call the police, and they would find her sleeping in parked cars and parking lots and such as this, but... Again, she started disappearing more and more and for longer and longer periods. Um, At some point in time, she made her way to Las Vegas. Her parents got a call from someone saying, hey, we have Monica. She's here at the Las Vegas airport. But unfortunately, because she was an adult, she didn't appear to be a threat to herself or others. So officials said they could not hold her. At that point, though, her family felt good because Monica was safe. They knew where she was. And... They just started divising her in Las Vegas. Essentially, she would just wander the downtown streets. Um, usually, they could find her. But one day in 2002, they realized, no, we we don't know where she is. We can't find her. And she's been gone for longer um, than she's ever been gone. Um, and eventually, they hired a private investigator. Now, they tried to file a missing persons report with the Las Vegas police, but they were told that Monica was an adult and she had technically came to Las Vegas by herself and could not be considered a missing person. Now, her mother sent her information to every agency that she could find that helps families of missing loved ones. Her name and photo went to every missing person's database that would accept them. Her family also submitted DNA to the national databases to be matched in case she was ever found deceased. Now, the Clark County, which is um, in this, uh, which is where the city of Las Vegas is, their public guardian's office had cared for dozens of unidentified adults over the year. And they started working on trying to identify five adult wards of states that they could not identify. They really didn't know their real name. They could not find any close of kin. Um, And so they were doing a really big effort to try to find these people's name, real real names, families, um, just to see if they could find anything. Um, It's stated that one of the biggest reasons they did this, one, it was the right thing to do, but also because they did not have these people's real names, they couldn't get these people's real um, social security number and things such as that. And they wanted to get these so they could give these people things like um, SSI, um, Medicaid, food stamps, things like that, that would help them um, to later go on and hopefully be independent. Um, so they start working with the police station. Um, there was a detective named Daniel Holly, and he began looking through um, these individuals' cases. He came across Monica's records uh, and found that she had been arrested a few times, um, mostly misdemeanors, minor things like trespassing, for sleeping on benches, and things like that. Um, but at the time, Monica was going by the name Margaret Danette, and 
this detective was looking through a whole bunch of her old records and found that on one record it was a single line saying aka Monica Danette Jenkins. So the detective then starts searching this name which he would later find out was her government name and he found that she was a missing person. He contacted the family, left a voice message saying, hey, um, I'm a detective with Clark County. Um, I'm trying to find the family of Monica Danette Jenkins. You know, if you don't know anything about this, disregard this message. If you do, give me a call back. Um, Of course, her family called them back. They flew out there and um, they were reunited with her. Uh, It seems that apparently at first um, it did not go that well. She kind of panicked and Uh, They said that she kind of had a cussing fit and she recognized the family, but it was almost like it was kind of traumatizing. And the family had to kind of take a step back and just slowly build their connection with her. I did see one source that said that it's believed that she may have had a stroke and was unable to recall her name um, during those years that she had been missing. And I only found that verified in, um, or not even verified, I only found that in one place. Um, But it is stated that she is now in contact with her family, but she remains in the care home. Um, She wanted to stay there. That's where she had built the life all these years. But her family is just happy to know that she's alive and well, and they are able to have contact with her. Case number four, Arlene Jackson. Now, Ms. Jackson disappeared from Los Angeles, California on August 1st, 2003. Now, in October of 2004, she was actually admitted for treatment for infection at Beverly Hospital in Montebello, California. At this time, she was semi-comatose and she was unable to identify herself or really communicate for that matter. Now, it appears she has spent the last 14 months or so at two other hospitals, um, unidentified under the name Jane Doe patient. Um, In 2004, pretty much an employee at the Beverly Hospital really wanted to try to identify or see if she had any type of family, and she began searching that Los Angeles Police Department's website, looking for photographs of missing women that match her description. She eventually came across a description that matched Ms. Jackson, um, and she was able to call them, and Ms. Jackson was reunited with her family. Unfortunately, that's all we have on that case, Uh, but it had a happy ending as her family was able to come and get her and come take care of her. Case number five. Now, before we get into this case, I do want to say I at first did not want to admit this case to this particular list because there's actually still some controversy over if this person has been found or not but it was such a fascinating case that I thought you know what let's still put it out there um it's a little bit all over the place um honestly it's an interesting case I definitely recommend you go and look it up there's so much information that I could not fit into this episode But again, absolutely fascinating case. I highly suggest you look it up if you're into that. Number five, we're talking about Patrick Kim McDermott. Patrick is a Korean-American male who went missing off a fishing boat off the coast of Los Angeles on July 1st, 2005. He was 48 years old at the time. Apparently, he had um, went on a fishing boat. The boat was named the Freedom. The boat had 22 other passengers and three crew members on it. Um... 
it said that he was not even noticed um, to be missing until July 6th when he had missed a supervised visit with his son. Um, the boat had already docked and everyone had got off um, and no one had knew he was missing. No one, no one verified like, hey, we had, you know, 23 people, only 22 got off. Now, eventually police, you know, went and questioned the other people of the boat. And basically what we find out is that a lot of contradicting statements were given. Eventually the Coast Guard determined that Patrick had like likely drowned Um, But people were very suspicious of his disappearance from the very beginning. Um, According to articles, he was in debt, um, and some of that debt include child support that he owed to his ex-wife. A website was launched called findpatrickdermott.com, and this website was launched with the implicit purpose of trying to trap Patrick. Um, Basically, they launched this website so they could track all addresses that logged into this website and they took these addresses and they were able to map them now during this time he was reported seen about 20 times in mexico and central america and dateline embassy um they did a whole special on him they hired a group of private investigators to try to locate him Um, Now, in 2010, um, investigators said they had located Dermot, that he was alive and well, living in Mexico. Um, The lead detective was Philip Klein. He reported that he tracked Dermot down after he noticed a collection of centralized IP addresses that logged into the account. Um, And they, you know, kind of just followed that particular address. And that led them um, to the Mexican Pacific Coast, where they say Dermot has been living under his birth name, Pat Kim. Now, the running theory at the time was that he had faked his death to get out of his financial obligations and with hopes that his son would be able to cash in on his life insurance policy. Now... It is still up to debate if Patrick is alive. And that's because while detectives claims he's alive and well, and he has been asked to not be contact, um, detectives haven't really provided any proof that he's alive. Um, You'll find in different resources that detectives said that, you know, they were contacted by a representative and they have a letter that was faxed to them. Um, But, you know, anybody can fax anything. Um, Detectives also say, you know, they found him in Mexico. They were able to um, get in contact with them. They have um, recordings, voice recordings and so forth. But it seems that no one else has heard these recordings. Um, At the time of his disappearance, Patrick was actually dating actress Olivia Newton-John. And in 2001, actually, she did an interview where she states that she came to facts with the term that he is dead. And even his ex-wife has said that she, too, believes he is dead. Um, She believes that the main investigator, um, that's investigator Philip Klein, that he is just a investigator that's out for fame and that she's found out that he's actually a known liar. And she believes that he is trying to get famous off the tragedy that has impacted her family so much. Um, And the reason she says this is because he actually went on to write a book about Patrick's disappearance called Lost at Sea. 
And the investigators claim that no, they have proof because there's, you know, these two photos of him. But it should be mentioned that the first photo that kind of took the world by storm when it came out um and people were like yeah that definitely looks like him there was even a magazine that hired um a professional analyzer that said you know yeah this definitely seems like this is him in this photo but it actually ended up coming out a couple years later that a canadian tourist who was in mexico at the time came forward and was like hey that's a picture of me and my wife now there is supposedly a second photograph i have not been able to find this photograph i keep coming across the first one um i keep finding links to this photograph but all the links i found are broken um but i was able to find a thread on this case on reddit with people who claim that they saw the photograph and pretty much all the commenters are like yeah i don't see how this proves this is him it's um apparently the picture looked very dated it was grainy and um it wasn't really a very clear picture it appears um so honestly we really don't know 100% sure that he is alive and in Mexico again there's a couple different investigators that all seem to claim this but family has said that you know no one has actually came forward and gave her real proof any real evidence his case is technically still open Lastly, we're going to go over the case of Karana Gilliam. Karana was one years old when she disappeared with her mother, Sherry Lynette Stout, from Elizabeth, New Jersey, on January 13, 2005. Karana and her mother lived on South Street when they were reported missing by her mother's boyfriend on January 13, 2005. She and her mother were last seen that morning, but no other details are really given. Now, in 2009, Karana was found living in the Bronx with a family who was connected to her father. According to the family, the father essentially came with Karana one day and was like, hey, can you guys watch my daughter for a few days? But he never returned. Now, it was later found that he had been arrested and sent to prison on drug charges. And that family that was taking care of her said they tried to track down the family for the child when the father had not came back after a couple weeks but they didn't find anything now the reason they didn't find anything is because dad had given her a false name the family believed Karana's name was Corona Brooks instead of Karana Gilliam and when they couldn't find anything they just kept her and raised her now Karana was found because her, her father eventually came forward in 2009 and gave information on where she could be found to the police. Uh, the police, of course, they went there, they checked it out, they used DNA testing and were able to find that that was her. And she was able to be reunited with her mother's family. Now, it's still unclear how her father got Karana in the first place. And her mother is still classified as missing and there is no information on what happened to her mother, where is her mother, or the whereabouts of their mother. Her father has never given any information about Sherry Lynette Stout, her mom, who is still considered missing. What we do know is that Karana is now being raised by her mother's family. She's in good care and good health. Now, I hope you guys were able to hear these stories and hopefully they gave anybody out there who has a missing loved one some hope. 
and hopefully for those of you guys who listen and because you guys also want to know what happened to these people you guys are also looking the streets for these people and searching John Doe Jane Doe websites to see if you guys can help families by matching them and so forth um there are lots of stories and eventually I'll come back and I'll do a part two because there are lots of stories of individuals who are later found so keep the hope alive as always stay vigilant stay active and I will see you guys next week with a new episode